Um, As I've been saying the past few weeks, um, I felt God starting to lay on my heart, uh, needing to discuss the Holy Spirit. Um, Coming out of Kingdom Mind Renewal and everything that we discussed there, um, how many of you guys enjoyed that series? You guys enjoyed being in that? That was uh, phenomenal. And even for me, um, going through it, you know, a second and a third time for me, um, just stuff was being revealed like crazy. And um, it's just so foundational. And the reason we started there is because anything else that I preach on and anything else that I teach on is going to hinge on the fact, can you renew your mind to what I'm saying? Because me saying it's not good enough. Uh, You hearing me say it. Uh, you seeing it in the Bible, um, it's just not good enough. And that's where Christianity has failed, is because we've made religious rituals and practices um, a lifestyle. And it's just not supposed to be that way. Our lifestyle is supposed to literally be uh, doers of the word that we hear. Um, putting it into application and seeing the word uh, you know, taking place in our lives. That's where true influence comes from. Telling somebody you go to church doesn't change someone's life. But relaying information that you got in church, that will change their life. Because it's the word. And it's the word being carried through with uh, every person that hears it and then applies it. So uh, it was very foundational to start there. And I I was very excited about teaching that. And um, But about halfway through, I guess about week five or six of the series... I started seeing God wanting to move us uh, in the direction that we're going to go tonight. Because the fact that we laid out was that your spirit, man, at salvation, has a desire to live out everything that God wants you to do. Your spirit, man, period, has within itself the abilities, the knowledge, and the desire to carry out everything you'll ever learn about God's Word, period. So why isn't this happening in our lives? Well, we found out that our mind was the issue, getting our mind to line up with what our spirit, what is already in our spirit. Because remember, we talked about the the constant battle that's always taking place. doesn't matter if you're 3 years old or 83 years old. You are fighting a battle every day. Will I give in to my flesh? Or will I give in to the Spirit? Will I give in to wanting to grab that cookie when mom and dad said not to? Will I give, give in to driving over the speed limit when I know I'm not supposed to? Will I give in to lying and cheating and living a dishonorable life when I know I'm not supposed to? Why do you know you're not supposed to? Because it's within your spirit. It's within your spirit, man. So every child deals with it. Every teenager deals with it. Every young adult deals with it. Every adult deals it. doesn't matter what phase of life you are in. You are in this constant battle daily. And that's why Paul said, I have to die daily. I wake up every morning with the knowledge that I have to put my flesh down and learn what my spirit's all about. So, coming out of that, I want to go into learning about this life in the spirit. Um, and what I'm eventually going to get to, I've been looking at notes and I've been looking at things and uh, every day I'm, I'm getting new stuff on this and I have no idea how long it's going to go. Right now, I, it could go 10 weeks, 
It could go 15 weeks. Um, and depending on how long it goes, I'm going to break it down into different sections. Um, and because there's just so much to the Holy Spirit. Um, but the first thing I have to do is introduce you to the Holy Spirit, to who the Holy Spirit is. Um, if you don't know the person of the Holy Spirit, then you will misunderstand every principle I give beyond that. And the first thing we have to understand is who the Holy Spirit is. And when I say who, that means we're talking about a person. And too often the Holy Spirit has been compared to a presence or a power or a feeling or, you know, an emotional thing. Man, I really felt the Holy Spirit today. You know, I, you know, just my, my eyes were just watering. Tears were just flowing. I mean, it just you can have those emotions when you're with him, but it doesn't negate the fact that he is a person. And so if it's a person, if the Holy Spirit is a person, then that tells us that we need to grow a relationship. To know more about a person, you have to what? Establish a relationship. Grow and cultivate a relationship. But we've, we get past, we go past the relationship side and we jump straight to, I want the feeling, or I want the presence, or I want the power. And so a lot of church people, they know that the Holy Spirit has power. A lot of church people know um, that when the Holy Spirit is here and evident, there's a presence and a feeling that happens, that takes place. People know these things, but they don't recognize that the presence or the feeling or the power follows the manifestation of a person. So tonight, I want to start there. I want to introduce you to who the Holy Spirit is. And tonight, we're going to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you tonight that you will uh, give me your words to say by your Spirit that I'll be sensitive and I will be a good steward of the time that we have this evening, that we will uh, plant this word, this seed, into good soil, into good ground, that will bear fruit in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. To lay the foundation of who the Holy Spirit is, um, and you've probably heard, heard me say it almost every time I preach, um, I, I mention the word kingdom. And I don't say that by accident. I don't just say that because it's a nice buzzword or tagline. Um, there's a reason why I talk about the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is the whole reason why we have this book. The kingdom of God is the whole reason why Jesus came. The kingdom of God is the whole reason why you and I are here. The kingdom of God is the whole reason why this earth even exists in the first place. When I say kingdom, I'm not, it's not just a little hashtag. It's not just a little, you know, something to throw out there to try to draw attention or sound religious because actually it's the most unreligious term in the entire Bible when people have misunderstood it and misconstrued it completely. So for me to lay out the Holy Spirit, I first need to start with the kingdom of God. And in Genesis chapter 1, we know what took place. God created the heavens and the earth. On Sunday, I preached the message, and I really didn't even mean for them to back up to each other like this, but it was very purposeful that I preached the message on the unseen realm. And I talked about bringing the unseen into the scene. 
And the reason why that's so important is because the first thing you have to understand about God's kingdom is that it's not with observation. Jesus actually used these words himself. The Pharisees, the Sadducees came to him and said, this kingdom that you keep talking about, when it, where is it? Where is it going to be? When is it going to show up? How is it, it going to come to the earth? And he answered back and he said, the kingdom of God is not with observation, meaning you won't be able to look here or look there and say here it is or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is within you. And we're going to talk more about the kingdom of God within you as we go on um, in this study of the Holy Spirit. But the first thing you have to understand is about is, is God's kingdom is not a seen, tangible kingdom. It's not where we see it. It's not something we touch. It's not something we can say, oh, yeah, it's over in the eastern part of the world or the western part of the United States or in the southern part of Me- I mean, you can't. there's no location to it, no geographical location, because God's kingdom is in an unseen realm. God is a king. God's a father. God's a creator. God is sovereign. But the number one thing that God is is he is a king. And what he did when he created the earth is he wanted to create a seen realm that duplicated what heaven was. That's what this earth was supposed to be. When he created the earth, when he put man in the Garden of Eden, he wanted to create something in the seen realm that would look exactly like what he lived in in the unseen realm. Basically, what he was doing was extending his kingdom from one territory to another. He was going from the heavenly realm, the unseen realm that cannot be seen, the spirit realm, and extended it to the natural realm. So then we have God created the heavens and the earth. And then everything else that was created, he created the trees, he created all these things. In Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1 verse 20 actually tells us that the seen realm, everything that we see, everything that we see has been created, all the trees, the sky, the water, uh, people, animals, everything in the earth that we can see, touch, feel, smell, lay our eyes on, it points to the unseen realm. It points to the invisible. Okay? So when God created the earth, It was an extension of what heaven was supposed to look like. And why did he put man on the earth? He did not put man on the earth just to worship him all day long. He didn't put man on the earth just because he wanted to have someone to talk to and hang out with. He put man on the earth to rule over the earth the same way he rules in heaven. What happens in heaven should happen in the earth. The way God rules is the way that we we're supposed to rule the way that we were supposed to govern. And he turned over this dominion. God did not want to rule the earth from heaven. That was not his original intention. He did not want to rule from the unseen realm and rule the seen realm. So that right there throws out the whole God is in control. God's sovereign, you know, whatever happens, whatever God wants to do, it throws it out. Because God, in the beginning, in Genesis 1.26, turned over that dominion. He gave it up to mankind. But here's here's what was supposed to take place. Man was supposed to rule the earth as God rules heaven. 
So there's a communication that's supposed to take place. There's a connection. We're supposed to be close with heaven. We're supposed to know what God wants done in heaven. If I'm going to rule this land, this territory, the way God wants me to, then who do I need to go to to find out what it's supposed to look like? God. That means I don't rule it the way I want to. I don't take control as I want to. I don't govern as I want to. All independence goes out the window. And you find yourself tied to what God wants. And you're bringing his will to the earth. And Jesus actually said this. When he taught his disciples to pray, he said, let your will in heaven be done on earth. That's what he wanted to do. So let's look at this in the beginning. I have to lay that foundation of the kingdom because it is very vital to who the Holy Spirit is. If you don't understand the kingdom, if you don't understand anything I just said, you will misunderstand the role of the Holy Spirit. Um, So let's look at this in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we know this verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Notice here, this is the first instance, this is the first time that the Holy Spirit shows up in the Bible. Second verse of the entire Bible, and here we've already got the Holy Spirit. I didn't have to wait for the New Testament. I didn't have to wait for Jesus to talk about it. I didn't have to wait for Paul to talk about it. I didn't have to wait for uh, Peter to get up on a mountain and start talking in a funny language and saying, hey, all you guys need this. We're right here, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. God shows up. He says, I want to create a heaven and an earth. And the Holy Spirit is doing what? He's hovering. Now, this word hovering doesn't mean he's just hanging out, being still. It means he's going about waiting for God to do something. And whatever God does, the Holy Spirit responds to that. The Holy Spirit responds to that. So right away, we see the Holy Spirit in action. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man... Of the dust of the ground, and breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. And what happened? Man became a living being. Notice here that that breath of life took care of his physical realm, his soul realm, and his spirit realm. It all came to life. So he was he wasn't just made to life in the flesh but had no thought process or no emotions or no feelings, had no will or no desires. And he's automatically in tune with the Spirit because it wasn't until he did this, and if you continue to look on down, verses 8, verses 9, in chapter 2, you see that God starts handing out instructions. God starts giving man direction. God starts telling man, hey, This is what I need you to do. This garden here that you're in, I need you to tend it. I need you to cultivate it. I'm going to give you a a wife who's going to help you. She's going to be your helpmate. I need you to name all the animals. I need you to be fruitful and multiply. What's he doing? He's handing out instruction, but not until he received that breath of life. Not until he was capable of hearing the voice of God and being in connection with God. So immediately we see here in the first two chapters of the entire Bible 
that the Holy Spirit is playing a role between God and between man. Because God set man in charge of the earth. But there was a stipulation. There was a direct command. Rule the earth as I would rule the earth. Follow my lead. What I do in heaven, this is what I want done on the earth. Now, this is so important to understand because this is why the Holy Spirit was put in place. The Holy Spirit was put in place to communicate the will of the king to mankind. The Holy Spirit has been put in place to communicate the will, the intentions, the purposes of God himself to man. So now man knows what to do. The Holy Spirit is the connector. The Holy Spirit is the communicator. The Holy Spirit is the one that is giving the directions and says, all right, this is what the king wants to be done here. This is what the king desires for this realm to look like. This is how it is in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven, so there doesn't need to be any sickness on the earth. There's no pain in heaven, so there doesn't need to be any pain on the earth. There's no depression in heaven, so there doesn't need to be any depression. There's no anxiety, so there's no anxi- there doesn't need to be any anxiety on the earth. And so this is man's control. This is under man's dominion as the Holy Spirit is leading him based upon what the king wants done. So do we see the chain of command? We see that we have God, the creator, the king of the universe, the king of heaven. He has the Holy Spirit sending his directions and sending his will and sending his purpose to man. So now God can know, be confident that the earth will look like heaven. This earth that I've created, this earth that I've put in place, it will look like what I want it to look like because I have given man my spirit my spirit to live by, to follow the directions. Now look what happens. Genesis, let's go up to Genesis chapter uh, 6. Genesis chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I'll tell you what happens in between where we just left off with man having the breath of life breathed into him and what we're about to read. Adam and Eve committed treason. Adam and Eve gave up their right to have authority and dominion and control in the earth. How did they do that? They disobeyed the word of the king. God gave a command. He said, do not eat of this tree. This tree in the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What, is that, what does that mean? What, why the tree of knowledge of good and evil? That tree represented self-rule. If they knew good and evil, then they didn't need God anymore. You've got to understand that your authority and your control in the earth is directly tied to your dependency on the king. But we live in a nation, we live in a world now that screams independence, screams do your own thing, screams have your opinion. Submission has gone out the window. Leadership is looked down upon, and we got governments that are failing. We have uh, people in high leadership positions that are failing, and we don't even look up to them anymore. We don't put them on the pedestal that they should be on. They're blowing it. And so we're taught, look, you don't even need to follow leadership. Just do your own thing. Do what feels right. Do what feels good. And this all started right here with the knowledge of good and evil. 
Because you have to understand that before they ate of that tree, man was directly uh, relying upon knowledge from their king. What does the king want done? And now it's about, what do I feel like doing? What do I feel like getting done? What do I think this should look like? Which is a sin, which is being lifted up in pride, which is exactly what got Satan kicked out of heaven. So this is what took place. Adam and Eve committed a sin. And sin is just simply disobedience to whatever the king says. That's what sin is. So Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. And daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Look what verse 3 says. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120. Right here, God is pulling back what he gave man to accomplish the task and the assignment he gave him in the first place. That word stride means to abide or dwell with. He's saying here, I am no longer giving man my spirit to, uh, to dwell and abide with them. Why did he have to do that? Because God and sin cannot coexist. God cannot be where sin is. Light and darkness have, do not dwell together. They cannot abide together. It's one or the other. And when you choose darkness over light, then God pulls out. God will not be where sin is. So he says, man has chosen his own course. Man is no longer relying upon me. Man is walking in direct, strict disobedience. So I am now resending my Holy Spirit. My spirit that I have given to man to accomplish my will and my purpose in the earth. This is why the Holy Spirit was given to man. This is why God's Spirit was placed upon man. Anybody that you see in the Bible that did anything, it's because the Holy Spirit was with them. Period. I mean, you look at Samson. We know about Samson. We know about the strength that he had, the might that he had. And it says, when it talks about Samson, that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, was with him. Another one is uh, Gideon. Gideon was actually uh, hiding. Gideon was a man, he was hiding. Uh, His country was at war with another region. And God wanted to raise him up to lead his country against the other country. And he's actually hiding. So he has an angel come visit him. He has an angel come tell him. That God wants to handpick you. God wants to choose you. And what happened? God gave him his spirit. King David, his, God's spirit was upon him. But then before that was King Saul. And when King Saul started to walk in disobedience, what did God take away from him? His spirit. Because as long as you choose to live in accordance to the king, then you can carry his spirit And his spirit will direct you in what the king wants done. 
The Spirit is there to enable. The Spirit there is there to communicate and to let you know this is what the king wants done in the earth. He is the connector. He is the connection from this seen realm to the unseen realm. What we see is supposed to look like what's happening in the unseen. Who lets us know what's going on in the unseen? The Holy Spirit. Who lets us know how to get that done here? The Holy Spirit. Who gives us the ability to get it done? The Holy Spirit. This is why this was the number one role. This is the role of the Holy Spirit in mankind. Is to get the unseen heavenly realm in the earth. That's why the Holy Spirit was there. But when man chose sin, when man chose a lifestyle that was against God, then his spirit, God's spirit had to be taken out and could no longer dwell with man. And God would handpick people that were righteous that he could put his spirit back into. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Daniel, David. In the Old Testament, that is, those were people that were handpicked, chosen, because they lived a righteous lifestyle, because they lived a lifestyle that said, I'm going to obey my king. And they chose to be righteous or chose to be in right standing with God's government. Then God said, I could put my spirit upon that person. And I could put my spirit upon that person. And they will get my will done in the earth. I will find somebody. I will find somebody to do it. So Genesis 6-3 shows us that God actually had to pull his spirit out because of that sinful lifestyle. Uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 20. I want to lay this foundation real quick, put these verses out there so we are completely confident about this unseen realm. I preached on it on Sunday, um, and there's so much to it, uh, this unseen realm. If you were unable to be here Sunday, you need to get the CD. You need to hear it, uh, because the unseen realm is more real than what we see. The unseen realm, the heavenly realm, the spirit realm is more real than what we see here. And what we see here is supposed to change to look like the unseen. And when I say unseen, when I say supernatural, when I say spiritual, this isn't hokey, this isn't scary, this isn't, uh, you know, wow, you know, there's witches and demons. I'm talking about God's realm. The spirit realm. Beyond what we can see. God is in a realm. And this shouldn't be weird. This shouldn't be weird. On Sunday I used the example of my mom. How many of you guys know that I have a mom? Everybody should know that I have a mom. I wouldn't be here without a mom. How many of you have seen my mom? One person. Then how do you know I have a mom? Because I am evidence that I have a mom. And so look what this verse says in Romans chapter 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. How is that possible? That's an oxymoron. Things that you can't see are seen. That doesn't even make any sense. How? This is what he, here he goes goes on and explains it. Being understood by what? The things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, 
so that they are without excuse. He's saying the things that you see give proof to the unseen. It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does just to go ahead and believe in God. I mean, you have to look around you. You have to look at the DNA and the makeup of a person. You have to look at the, the planets and the stars and the way the universe is created. You have to look at uh, how trees are made and how animals are born. I mean, you have to look at all this stuff and, and refute that there's a God. I mean, you have to turn all that down. To deny that there is a God actually takes more faith than just believing in God. Why? Because everything we see points to God. Everything we see points to there's something we can't see that has put all this here. That's Romans 1, verse 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. We're talking about this unseen realm. For you to understand the Holy Spirit, you've got to understand that there is an unseen realm and a seen realm. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. So notice, Paul here is telling the Corinthian church, don't look at what you do see and look at what you can't see. How in the world does that make any sense? For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So what's he saying? He's saying everything you can see here is subject to change. But everything that you can't see, everything in the unseen realm, it's permanent. It will exist regardless of what happens in the seen realm. It will continue on. So here's what I laid out on Sunday. Here's what I laid out, and I just want to uh, reprogram this and, and, and hit it again so we can have a proper understanding of the Holy Spirit. This is very vital. Everything you need in the seen realm is already somewhere else. We are here in the earth. We, people, are here to bring the unseen realm to the seen realm. Example. Sickness comes in your body. In the seen realm, you are sick. But in the unseen realm, in the spirit realm, there is healing. It is up to us. It is up to mankind to move that healing from the unseen realm to the seen. That is why we're here. We are to make it visible. Then, when you make that visible in your life, just like Romans 1.20 says, it gives testimony back to the unseen realm. So when you are healed, you now show everybody that you got healed based upon a God or a creator, your king, in a realm that cannot be seen. I'm not here to try to show you God and try to, uh, you know, make him visible if you just look hard enough. I am here to be God in your life. And what I mean by that is everything that God is, I am to show that through my life. Everything the word is, I'm supposed to show that. Everything the kingdom is, I'm supposed to reveal that through my life. That is why we're here. 
So, this is what Paul is saying. While we do not look at the things which are seen. Why? Because they can change. When he says do not look, he's not saying ignore it. Ignore that the doctor says you have cancer. Or ignore that you don't have enough money to pay that bill. Or ignore that, uh, you know, there's depression. What's he saying? Don't fix your gaze on that. Don't focus on that. Let me give you something else to focus on. Focus on the healing. Focus on the provision by your king. Focus on the joy that is in the Lord. And it will change the sickness. It will change the bill that can't be paid. And it will change the depression. And so on. All of this is in the unseen realm by faith. By faith, you look at this. Look at this in Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, the next chapter over. Second Corinthians chapter five, um, verse five. Now he who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Verse six. So we are always confident. Knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. What's he saying? If you want to see the unseen, walk by faith. If you want to walk in, if you want to live in what can't be seen, then you have to walk by faith. But you have to live in what can't be seen because it's more real than what is seen. That means when the doctor gives you a report you don't want to hear, you actually have the faith. And, I mean, anyone that says that the Christian lifestyle is for weaklings and wimps and sissies, do this. Look at the doctor when he tells you, we've got something in here that's showing us some cancer. And you say... Uh, sorry, Doc, you're a liar. You're a liar. Why? Because the seen realm is subject to change. That means you can lie back, you can rest in. That's temporary. When something's temporary, that means that it can change. That means that it has the ability, the capability to be different at some point. That is reliant upon us. And by walking in faith, you're not ignoring the situation, but now you apply faith and say, you know what? I have healing. It's somewhere else. My faith doesn't create healing. Healing is already available. I just need to move it from one location to another. I need to move it from the unseen realm where God is to the seen realm where I am today. Then I will have the testimony that God healed me and it will point man to God and God will be glorified. And I'm telling you, that's not an easy lifestyle. You look at the stuff that uh, that real men of faith had to do, had to live by. We don't know anything about that. We're trying to believe God to get an extra... uh, couple bucks for gas and and they're at a red sea crossed between some egyptians that want to kill them and an ocean that wants to swallow them up anyone ever been there physically no anybody ever stood before a giant who knew military warfare and knew combat 
with soldiers behind him? <laughs> Do wives count? Uh, they can they can rise up sometimes. I tell you what. But physically, no, we've never stood there. When you look at Gideon again, God gives him twenty thousand men to go against 120,000 men. He's already on the short end of the stick. Then he whittles that thing down to a measly 300. Then he takes the 300 and says, get rid of your weapons. I don't care how much you know how to fight. I don't care about your shields and your helmets and your swords and all these military things. Just get a clay pot and put a burning stick in it. And then, when I tell you to, shout and break the pot and light the thing on fire. And somehow, that is supposed to whoop the enemy. I mean, just crazy stuff. Stupid, ridiculous stuff. That took full reliance on a king. But they were able to do it because they had someone living inside of them that enabled them and told them what to do. And that was the Spirit of the Lord. So with these three verses, Romans 1.20, 2 Corinthians 4.18, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we've just laid out that there is an unseen realm that is established in a heavenly place, in a spirit realm, but it has things in it that we are supposed to access and get into the seen realm. Okay? So we've just laid that. How, what does this have to do with the role of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the one that enables us, and the Holy Spirit is the one that communicates to us how to get the unseen to the seen. And this was man's task. This was man's assignment. The first thing you have to understand is the world we live in today looks nothing like what God originally intended it to be. You have to, you have to finalize that. This isn't what God was thinking this isn't what God had in mind when he created the world. He didn't have the enemy calling the shots. He didn't have uh, man, his own creation, um, you know, doing what they wanted to do and disobeying the word of the king. I mean, it's crazy. I was talking to someone yesterday um, about some stuff, you know, that's going on. And, and we we're talking about how, you know, this lifestyle in the kingdom is actually rougher than uh, being at war in, in actual military. Because at least when you're at war in the military and you're fighting someone, you at least have the guarantee that the guys on your side are on your side. But the scary thing in the kingdom of God is that the enemy is so deceptive that he can turn your own brother against you. I mean, could you imagine being at war, shooting the enemy, and turning around and you're counterpart has his gun in your face, ready to take you out. I mean, that's even worse than going to war, you know, in the Middle East. At least you know everyone that's wearing the United States uniform is on my side. That'd be rough to find out. You turn around and you've got a whole squad of guys ready to take you out, and now you're all alone. And, and this is the lifestyle of the kingdom. I'll tell you right now, this happened with Jesus. Jesus was discipling people, and Jesus was, uh, had followers and had people. And it came to a point where, you know, he appointed 70 to go out and do works. But you read later on, the 70 ended up leaving him. He made a statement that was so controversial and so confrontive. 
that they were like, oh, whoa, I, I don't know what this is all about. And they left. And Jesus looks at his 12 disciples and says, you going to leave too? And they said, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. But that's a scary situation. There's no guarantee. You just keep on going. You just keep on going. You just keep on following God. And you, you let man do what man will do. You just get, keep on pursuing God. You just keep on following after him. You just keep on seeking him wholeheartedly. And you know that he has your best interest at heart. Okay? So look at this. We've got to look at the role of Jesus to understand how the Holy Spirit is to live in us. Because, again, you have to understand, mankind is in the earth to rule the earth the way God rules heaven. But how do we know what God's doing in heaven? By his Holy Spirit. But when man chose his own path, when man decided to start dictating his own actions, God had to withdraw his spirit. So now man does not freely have, at this point we're up to now, man does not freely have access to the Holy Spirit. There are certain ones that God finds that are living righteous, that he knows will do his will, and he reveals stuff to them by the Spirit and puts his Spirit upon them. But look what Jesus does. Let's, let's look at the life of Jesus real quick. Let's start with Mark uh, chapter 1. One concept that you have to understand real quick before I read this verse is that God being a king, anything that a king says, anything that a king puts into writing becomes a law. And the law is so structured that not even the king himself can overturn it or overrule it. This is just just government stuff. We don't know a lot about kingdoms. In fact, every government that's on the face of the planet now is a failed attempt at trying to replace God's kingdom. Every government, every democracy, every republic is... Uh, every uh, monarchy, every uh, uh, dictatorship, all these types of governments are failed attempts at trying to be and do what God put in place. God put a government system into place. And I, this isn't a very popular statement, but God's answer for the world is a government. But why is that not a popular statement right now? Because all we see is corrupt horrible governments that don't know what they're doing, that listen to the wrong side or are led by the majority, and it doesn't matter if the majority is wrong or right, they're still led by the majority. People have opinions, or even if you have uh, dictatorships, which is you know governed by one man, that man is evil and doesn't have the interests of the people at heart. He has his own interests. But God operates his kingdom out of love. God operates and shows us what his kingdom is supposed to look like out of love, which means he's got every single person's interest at heart, your best interest. It's not about him. It's not about rising to a level. It's not about being great. His greatness is shown by how well the people are doing. Okay? Well, the first thing that God put into practice and made a law is he gave man dominion on the earth which means that God now has to use a man 
in the earth when he wants to get something done. I know that sounds weird, but God needs us. God needs man. God is not doing anything in this earth. When he wanted to part the Red Sea, he used a man. When he wanted to uh, prepare a nation for a famine, he used a man. He used mankind. He used a person, a human being on this earth. That is the legal access for God in the earth. So God today is still looking for man to accomplish his will and accomplish his task. But that man has to be led by his spirit. Because if that man isn't led by his spirit, he runs the risk of doing his own thing. Or doing and following after somebody else that is over and ruling this earth. And we know who that is. Adam and Eve gave up their authority and handed it over to Satan. And so we know who the God of this world is. We know who the ruler of this world is. So, the reason I say this is because now we're about to look at the life of Jesus. Why did God have to send his son as a human being? Because he set a law. If I'm going to do anything in the earth, I have to go through a man. So now, since I've made that law, since I've made that a creed and I cannot break it, I cannot overrule it, I cannot overwrite it, I am going to have to send myself, because I'm the only one that can redeem mankind, to the earth as a man. So Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. He was 100% God and 100% flesh. Try to tackle that one with your brain. One, he's not 50-50. He's not half God, half man. He was 100% God and 100% flesh, which means he was everything that God was and everything that God is with the ability to do what man does. Follow his own wills. Follow his own desires. But he wasn't born with the sin nature. That's the difference. That was the difference. He was the second Adam. There was only other one other person that was born directly of God, and that was Adam. Everybody else following Adam had a natural mother and was born into this world a natural way with a sin lifestyle. With a sin Nature, which means it was natural for him to, the momentum for man from the time of birth was to sin and fall away from God, but not Jesus. So look at what Jesus does. This is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Mark chapter 1, verse 9. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, being a hundred percent man, had to receive the Holy Spirit on his life to do the work he was called to do by God. So if Jesus had to receive the Holy Spirit, being 100% God and 100% man, that right there shows us that we can do nothing without being filled and receiving the Holy Spirit. We cannot do God's will. Jesus could not do what he did in the earth. He wouldn't have been able to heal the sick. 
He wouldn't have been able to raise the dead. In fact, Jesus at this point hadn't done one miracle. This is what we actually mark as the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He received the Holy Spirit. Why? So he could have direct communication with the king, know what the king's will, what his intent, what his purposes were, and reveal them to the earth and make the earth look like heaven. And then also fulfill his task or his assignment. Look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If I were to ask you, I don't want anyone to answer, but if I were to ask you, why did Jesus come to the earth? Why did Jesus come? And this is a very, uh, you know, right now, this is a very huge topic because we're getting ready to celebrate his birth. We're getting ready to celebrate his entrance into the world. And we know what he did. We know... um, why he came in one instance, but do we really know why he came? Why did Jesus come to the earth? Why did he have to come here? Look what it says in Second Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That word reconcile and reconciliation, that is to restore, or to put back in an original place. If this $5 bill falls off of this podium, and it falls to the ground, and I take it, and I set it on this chair... Did I restore it? No. I put it back in a different place than it was originally. If I restore the $5 bill, I put it back on the podium where it fell from. Okay? So that's what that word reconcile is. And verse 18 says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to who? Himself through Jesus Christ. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That means it's now our job to reconcile people to God through Jesus Christ. That is that God was in Christ reconciling reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now look what verse 20 says. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. That means that we are now doing God's work in the earth on his behalf as if God were doing it himself. That's what that verse just said. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might all one day go to heaven. Is that what it says? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let me tell you why Jesus came. This is going to tie everything that I've already said. It's going to tie it all together. 
Remember, first I said that God created a kingdom. God had a kingdom in an unseen realm, created an earthly kingdom in the seen realm, put man on that kingdom in that territory to rule that area the way heaven would rule it. Man committed treason and disobeyed the king. Sin entered the world. Sin entered man. So now God had to remove his spirit. God placed his spirit upon man so he could know and understand the king's will and intent for the earth. Otherwise, you're doing your own thing. But when man sinned and sin started to take over, what did God do? Pulled his spirit. Why? Because sin was in the way. This verse right here tells me, verse 21, He made him who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let me tell you why Jesus came to the earth. Jesus came to the earth to get sin out of man. That is why he came. How did he do that? Dying on the cross. Becoming sin for us. But Jesus did not die on the cross and take us to heaven. That verse, those verses right there just told us that he reconciled man. He restored man. If God put man on the earth, man loses the earth and then puts him in heaven, does he restore man? No. To restore man, he needs to put him back in the earth in his original position with his original intent. Now, the only problem with that is man can't rule the earth like he's supposed to because there's something inside of man that has taken over. It's called sin. And God cannot exist. God's spirit cannot be inside of a vessel that has sin in it. So what did Jesus do? Jesus came and got the mess out. He got the sin out. That's what Jesus did. And that is what righteousness is. Righteousness is a position. It's actually a royal position with the king. This is how God sees you now. God doesn't see you as a screw-up. He doesn't see you as a sinner. He doesn't see you as a mess-up. He doesn't see you as someone who just sins all the time and does his own thing and, and disobeys all the time. That's not how God sees you. Verse 17 told us that all things, all the old things have passed away. Behold, all things became new. This is what happens at salvation. This is what happens at born, at, when you're born again. You don't continue to be a sinner. He has taken you out of that sinful nature and given you a new nature, new creation. Old things have passed away. Don't bother bringing up your past to God. He doesn't remember it. He doesn't know anything about it. If you asked him to be the Lord of your life, if you asked him to forgive you of your sins, they are gone. He has made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know, I'm I'm just a sorry sinner. You know, I just can't help, you know, doing my own thing. We're going to talk about can't help doing your own thing because Paul had this problem. We'll talk about that when we get further on. But right now, I need you to understand what happened at salvation. Jesus came to this earth, died on the cross to remove sin. But not just to make you a better person. 
Remember what we said in the beginning. What did God have to take out because sin existed in man? His spirit. So why do you think God took sin out? So the spirit could come back in. Is that good? Is that good? We're talking about restoration. We're talking about reconciliation. We're talking about being restored back to what man messed up. What Adam and Eve messed up, what Adam and Eve jacked up in that garden and allowed to come into the earth, we now can eradicate that. Jesus has done away with the sin. Jesus has done away with the sinful nature. So now righteousness has come back in, which means God sees you in that position of being righteous. Guess what? It doesn't matter how your parents see you. It doesn't matter how your brother or your sister see you anymore. It doesn't matter how your co-workers see you. All that matters is how God sees you. And he sees you in the position of royalty. He sees you in the position of being seated with his son, Jesus, in heavenly places at his right hand. He sees you in a position of righteousness, being in right standing. And you know what happens is a lot of times we allow things to pull us off of our position. We allow our current condition. We allow something that happened. We allow the way other people see us to pull us off of that position. But you know what God did was eternal. God put you in a position of being righteous. That is what man is supposed to pursue. But he didn't make man righteous just so he could be righteous. He made man righteous, so he said, look, I have an assignment for mankind, and I haven't given up on that assignment. I haven't done away with that. Jesus, or God at no point in this whole process said, you know what, forget it. I don't even want man anymore. I don't want them doing their thing on the earth. I don't want the earth anymore. Let's just burn it all up, and let's just take all the people that want to Make want to believe in my son Jesus to heaven. You can't find that in the Bible. You will find more in the Bible about a kingdom and an assignment on this earth than you will ever find about going to heaven on your puffy cloud and playing a harp. Amen. You won't find it. There's a whole book called Revelations that people think is just about heaven. I want to read about heaven. You know what? There's only one chapter in there about heaven, specifically. The rest of it is about stuff that's happening here. It's about tribulations, and it's talking about seven churches and why, uh, you know, six out of seven blew it. And it's talking about uh, wars and antichrist and things that are happening on this earth. Not even talking about heaven. And then Revelation 21, he finally shows you a little glimpse of heaven. And you know what he says? That it comes out of the sky and comes down here. That's funny. I thought we're all trying to go up there. Here's one for you. I'll just let you chew on this. I, I don't think I'm going to. This, this might blow. This might be some, some of that stuff you get in your steak that you just keep chewing and chewing and chewing. Jesus said that it's going to be like in the days of Noah, the end days when the rapture takes place. In the days of Noah, some will be taken and some will be left. In the days of Noah, who was left? The good people or the bad people? Who was left on the planet? Hmm. I thought the, I thought we were getting yanked up and going to heaven. 
I'm still studying stuff out myself, but what the, paint, the picture I'm trying to show you is your purpose, your identity is here. Your assignment is here on the earth. God never backtracked and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me get back to, man, I wish I, you know what, forget all that. Let's just get them all back up here in heaven. Forget that whole earth down. Wasn't a great idea anyways, you know trees and all that stuff. We don't need all that. No, he still has a plan that he wants to fulfill. He still has an assignment for mankind that he wants to get done. And all throughout the Old Testament, he's just looking for righteous people, man. He's looking, come on, where's that Abraham? Where's that Moses? Where's that Daniel? Where's that David? Where's that Hezekiah? Where's where's that Jonah? Where are these people? that are going to say, I'm going to obey my king and my God that I can't see. And God's saying, finally, somebody that I can use in the earth to get my will done, to get my purpose accomplished. Then he sends his son Jesus and gains a whole family, gains a whole group of people, he calls him a nation, gains a whole nation of people that can now be righteous so he can put his spirit in them so they can do the will he originally put man here to do. And that should be the most exciting thing on the face of the planet. I'm telling you, this is eye-opening stuff. I mean, I've been reading books and I've been in the middle of stuff that I'm telling you, when I first heard this message, it changed everything. And not only did it change everything, but it brought everything together and showed me why God did this and why he did that and why. I mean, has anybody, has anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, but has anybody really been content with, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm saved now and I know I'm going to go to heaven, but has that answered any questions for anybody? No. That doesn't answer questions. It brings up more questions. Okay, then why am I really here? And why do I really need to serve God so much? And why do I need to tell all my friends about Jesus? And why do I need to act so happy all the time? And why do I need to, why do I have to deal with sickness? And and what's my purpose? Why do I go to my work every day and eight, do my eight to five and come home and feed my family and hang out with my husband and Six to two, whatever it is. What? You know why? Because we never answered the real question. Why did God put man here in the first place? And when you understand your purpose, when you understand Jesus' purpose, and when you understand God's purpose, then you will understand the Holy Spirit's purpose. Then the Holy Spirit's no longer just a presence. The Holy Spirit's no longer just a tingling feeling that you get at church sometimes. Then talking in tongues isn't just that weird mumbo-jumbo that people do in some churches. We're going to hit all of it. I'm telling you, I don't know how long this thing is going to go, but we're going to go. And I'm going to answer question after question because it is time for us to understand the Holy Spirit instead of, well, I know about God and, and I, I know about Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit, you know, is, is a spirit. Wait. It's time to understand the third person of the Godhead. It's time to understand 
what the Holy Spirit's influence is in my life. Because I'm going to tell you right now, God is in heaven. Jesus is in heaven. So who's here with us? The Holy Spirit. Well, you know what? I think it's time we ought to get to know him. I think it's time we ought to become acquainted with him. I think it's time we ought to get to learn how to hang out with him and learn what, what, what can I do for you and what can you do for me. Because God's already up there sitting down. Jesus is already up there, and it says that he sat down. So if they're up there sitting down and we're, up, we're down here frantic and running around like chickens with our heads cut off, then something's wrong with this picture. Why isn't God getting up off his throne and saying, okay, let me take care of it? Why isn't Jesus saying, all right, I'll come back to the earth. I'll do that whole, you know, come back in the, you know, Virgin Mary thing, and we'll do Christmas all over. I mean, why? Why aren't they? No, they ain't doing all this stuff. Because Jesus, when he left, said, let's finish it out. Let's finish it out. I'm leaving something out. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. The first thing after Jesus came back, first thing Jesus did, we're wrapping it up right here. The first thing that Jesus did when he came back from the cross and after rising again, look what he did here. John chapter 20, verse 19. At this point, uh, Jesus has not seen his disciples. His disciples have not seen him. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, that means that they were locked, for fear of the Jews. You know, because the Jews were the ones that put Jesus to death. So, if you were a follower of this man they put to death, who do you think they're coming to next? You know who they tried to kill? You remember Lazarus? He raised him up from the dead? They tried to hunt him down and put him to death too. So these, these guys are, they do not care. That's why Peter denied him three times. No, I didn't follow that man. I don't know who you're talking about. So they got the doors locked for fear of the Jews. And look what the next phrase says. Jesus came and stood in the midst. He just came right on in. Came right on through the locked doors, through the walls, and said to them, peace be with you. How would you like that? The doors are locked, windows are shut, walls are tight, and he just shows up and says, peace. You kidding me? We just followed you around for three years. We watched you die on a cross. And now you're just standing here and you say, I'm supposed to have peace? Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I bet they were. Now look what verse 21 says. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me... I also send you. Notice he's not coming back and saying, guys, I did it. I died on the cross. I stayed down there for three days, but hey, I came back to life. Now we can all go to heaven and be one big happy family. If it was about heaven, do you think that'd be the first thing he said? Do you think that'd be the first thing he would have brought back up was, now we all go to heaven? No, look what he says. He says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, I don't know, but for some of these disciples, that could have been kind of scary because they're thinking, wait, 
You're supposed to be taking us out of here. You're going to send me back out there? Those people are trying to kill us. We got the doors locked. You want us to go out there? I mean, think about what's going on in the disciples' heads right now. Naturally speaking, they are freaked out. Just as the Father has sent me. Okay, the Father sent you and you died. So now you're sending us like he sent you? What do you think the end result's going to be? They are freaking out right now. But look at this. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. When was the last time you remember somebody breathing into somebody? God with Adam. That's right. God with Adam. He breathed on them and said, what? Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they retain. What's he saying? He's saying the ministry that I just went and did, you do it. And if they receive me, their sins are forgiven. If they don't receive me, then they're not forgiven. But why did he say receive the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is necessary to, as the Father sent me, I send you. I'm sending you back out in the earth. Beyond those doors that you have locked and shut up where you're fearing everybody, I'm sending you back out there to do what I did. And just as I had to receive the Holy Spirit when John the Baptist baptized me to do what I was called to do, you have to receive the Holy Spirit so you can do what God's called you to do. Amazing. This thing's not about heaven. This book is not about going to golden streets and pearly gates and tree of life and water of life and life and mansions. What about those mansions? I got a, a mansion waiting for me. God's built, Jesus is up there. You know, he's a carpenter down here so he can learn how to nail my house together, right? He says, peace. He says, peace be unto you. You know why he had to say, peace be unto you? Because they're scared. They got the doors locked. So he's saying, look, you can have peace. You can go back out in that world. I'm sending you back out there. Remember John chapter 17? We looked at that. John chapter 17, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. And he's having that prayer. I mean, he's bleeding. Uh, his sweat turns to blood. I mean, he's just crying out to God. And you remember what he prayed for his disciples? He said, I don't pray that you take them out. Why? Because I'm getting ready to go to the cross so I can take sin out of their life so you can put your spirit in them. So don't take them out of the world because that will make everything I do for nothing. In fact, I want you to send them into the world just as you sent me. Into the world, And why could he be excited about that? Because he knew with me, I was able to heal the sick. I was able to raise the dead. I was able to cast out demons. But man, that's just one person. But if, if you complete your work in me, and you keep them here on the earth, then that means that that's all the more people 
In Luke chapter 4, real quick. Luke chapter 4. Go ahead and turn there. I want you to see it. Luke chapter 4. I didn't have this in my notes, but it just came up. Luke chapter 4. This is when Jesus again first shows up on the scene. In verse 18, he just got done being tempted of the devil and shutting that whole thing down. And verse verse 16, go to verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. That's another word for the Holy Ghost. We'll see that. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now look down in verse 21. He says, and he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled. Today, before your eyes, I am fulfilling this scripture. He said, the spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit has come upon me. God has placed his spirit on me. Why? To do his work. Are there any oppressed people in heaven? Then for me to bring that to the earth, I have to receive his spirit. Are there any captive people in heaven? Well, then for me to loose the captives, I need his spirit upon me. And he said that the Lord has sent me. So then he turns around to his disciples at the end of John, and he says, as the Lord sent me, as the Lord placed his spirit upon me, Now I am sending you. And before I send you, he breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Notice he does not send them without them being first given the Holy Spirit. Now we know in Acts chapter 2 that there was an infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we will look at that. But the first thing we have to understand is the Holy Spirit is given to us. When we come into the kingdom of God at salvation, the Holy Spirit is placed upon our lives too. Fulfill the work and know the will and intentions of the Holy Spirit. Of the King. So we can do it here on earth. Jesus sent those disciples out. He did not come back jumping and hollering and saying, it's time to go to heaven. He said, it's time to go back out into the world. The people that you fear. The people that are wanting to kill you. The people that are wanting to take you down. I'm sending you to them. To do the same things that I did. I want you to release the captives. I want you to heal the brokenhearted. I want you to bring sight to the blind. That's why I'm sending you. And just as the Spirit of the Lord was upon me, I am placing that same Holy Spirit on you. So you can know that the captives need to be set free. The oppressed need to be loose. The blind need to see again. That's what he's doing. Are you getting this tonight? The original task, the original assignment given to man has now been restored because of what Jesus did. He didn't give us an exit out of the earth and an entrance into heaven. He gave us an entrance into the kingdom. Jesus is the doorway. You know what a doorway signifies? The beginning of something, not the end of something. 
If you go in the doorway, there's a lot more in there than just standing at the doorway. I mean, if you, it'd be weird if I invite you over to my house and you just come up to my door and you just stand there and just look inside. We got, we got dinner ready. We got movies on. There's music playing. There's my son playing on the floor. You can go play with him. But you just standing in the doorway. Can I come in? Wow, this looks great. This is awesome. And never get to partake of any of it. Never get to enjoy any of it. And that's where most Christians are at. They're at the doorway. They're at the cross. They're at, thank you, Jesus, so much. You died on the cross, and you made a way for me to heaven. I know I'm just a sorry, lousy sinner here on earth, and, and, I, and I can't do anything good. But, you know, one day I'll get to heaven, and I'll be in glory with you. That's where most Christians are at. And that is the most sorry, pathetic life that anybody could ever live. Because God has called us to so much more. He's saying, I took sin out of your life so I could put my spirit back in you so you can go do the works that I've called you to do. That's why we're here. And that is why the Holy Spirit is here. That is the person of the Holy Spirit. He is the connector between the unseen realm and the seen realm. And you cannot have the Holy Spirit in your life if sin is there. If you are unrighteous, if you are not born again, if you are not saved, the Holy Spirit is not going to talk to you. The Holy Spirit is not going to share information with you. The Holy Spirit is not going to reveal the kingdom to you. He's not going to show you, this is what God wants done. This is what heaven looks like. This is who God wants you to talk with today. This is what God wants you to pray with this person about. That's not going to happen. Because you're not even in his kingdom to begin with. And sin is still existent. And he can't put his spirit on something that's still full of sin. You all see that. We see the beginning of this. This is just the beginning. That is the introduction. This is who the Holy Spirit is. And we will get deeper. It's going to get deeper. I hope you brought your chewing teeth. Because we're going to be chewing on some steak. We're going to be tearing some stuff. This, this ain't no milk. This ain't the milk of the Word. This is, we're going to rip into it. Because I, I'm tired of 